Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. God pushed Nehemiah's spirit down so far that finally he walked into the presence of the king. He couldn't hold it any longer. And Nehemiah, again, he didn't know all this. He's just doing what a cupbearer does. He was just not willing to be content. He was a man who wasn't willing to be complacent. He just dared to care. And God used him. Now remember, it was four months of waiting, fasting, and praying. When Nehemiah heard the news, he didn't just quit his job and run to Jerusalem. He waited patiently and prayed fervently and continued to do the work faithfully for four months. The Bible's got a lot to say about waiting. The Bible has a lot to say about being still. I think it should be a spiritual gift. I mean, I really do. Because it's, it's like that. <laughs> Only four of y'all raise a hand. The rest of y'all ain't telling the truth. Five. Write these down, okay? Let me move forward. Exodus 14, 12. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Ruth 3, 18. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Isaiah thirty eighteen. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Habakkuk or Habakkuk, chapter two, verses one through three. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer and when I am corrected. And then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for, note this, an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, do what saints? Wait for it because it will surely come. I will not tarry. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord is not wasting time. It's investing time. It's investing time. You know, and I read this and I thought it was pretty interesting. Did you know the annual cost of running Red lights is $7 billion annually. Medical bills, car repairs, so on and so forth. 
the average amount of time saved in running red lights is only 50 seconds. I was shocked. You mean that's all the time I'm saving? I'm like, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. And it slipped out. How'd that slip out? <laughs> My wife ain't laughing because, see, when, 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 when you run the red lights, only, I've only done it once. And many of you know they take a picture of your license plate nowadays. Y'all know. Tell the truth. You know. Waiting. I really do believe it should be a spiritual gift. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to wait on the Lord. Patiently wait on the Lord. Nehemiah waited. And he went before the king and he was sad. Now listen, in the ancient world, you were forbidden to be sad. The reason why I had you underline it and note the Bible points it out very clearly. Now I had never been sad in the presence of a king before because it was forbidden to be sad in the presence of a king. If you were sad in the presence of a king, you could be killed. I think of Daniel chapter one. While in Babylon, Daniel uh, said to the eunuch, we don't want to eat or drink at the king's table. You remember that story in chapter one? And, and the eunuch said, okay, but if the king notices that you guys are losing weight and looking gaunt and weak, he's going to cut off your head and make my house a dunghill. And Daniel said, okay, then I'll help you out and I'll eat some vegetables for 10 days. But the eunuch was afraid to allow the men that he was in charge of to look sad in the presence of the king. I think of Esther chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth, which is kind of like this itchy burlap, and he went into the middle of the city, and he cried with a loud and bitter cry, and he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. It was forbidden to be sad in the presence of the king. If you were sad in the presence of the king, you could lose your life. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Don't you wish that was a rule today? <laughs> you can't ever be sad in my presence. Only come around me happy, <laughs> joyous. The king said, why are you sad? I noticed you're not happy. You don't look sick, verse 2. I think you look a little depressed. Listen, when you, when you know somebody, how would the king know this? Well, when you know somebody and you work with them every day, you kind of get to know how they look, yes? And then they come in looking a certain way, you know something's up. When you live with somebody for so many years, you know something's wrong, right? I walk in the house, I say to my wife, hey, honey, how you doing? And, 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 and I look at her and go, what's wrong? And she goes, nothing. <laughs> Fellas, listen, I'm just going to try to help you out, Okay. When you walk in the house, ladies, close your ears. When you walk in the house and you say to your wife, honey, what's wrong? And she says nothing. You should know that there is something definitely wrong. (laughs) Something's wrong. And what you have to do is you have got to get your spiritual GPS out and figure it out. Something's wrong. When women say nothing's wrong, something's wrong. Fellas say amen. amen. That was off. <laughs> amen. Amen. 
<laughs> so hot Xerxes, he knows something's wrong. And he asked King, he asked uh, Nehemiah in verse three, Nehemiah said, let the king live forever. That's a good thing to say. You hope the king will say to you, although you're sad, I'll let you live forever. Actually, that was a common greeting when you entered the king's presence. And Nehemiah said, the place of my father's, get this. Nehemiah said, the place of my father's lay in waste and the gates are burned. Now, Nehemiah, listen, was wise and he intentionally started the conversation this way. Why? Because in the ancient culture, there was a high respect paid to the place of your ancestor's tomb. The place of your ancestor's, you know, tomb and grave. So Nehemiah puts that first before the king. Then in verse four, then the king said, what do you request? Open door. Nehemiah said, I prayed, notice, I prayed to the God of heaven. Now listen, this doesn't mean that Nehemiah got in his prayer closet. It means that Nehemiah threw up a quick prayer in his heart. Remember I told you, you don't have to make long prayers for there to be strong prayers. Or the length of prayer has very little to do with the strength of prayer. Nehemiah is in this moment. The king said, what's your request? And in his heart, he said, oh, God, help me to have the right words. I'm sure you guys have been in situations like that. And stay with me. The reason I believe that Nehemiah instantly prayed right then in his heart is because Nehemiah was a man of prayer. We pointed that out. It's natural just to pray and ask God when you're always on your face praying. It's natural to seek God's will, plan and purpose and direction when there's always a prayer wheel burning and turning in your heart. You know, that's the reason we have monthly prayer meetings here, saints, because we understand and I truly believe that prayer is essential to the success of the saints. And if I took a survey of this room, most of us would agree with that. But if you, if you agree with that and you believe that prayer is essential and the church agrees with that, then why don't we do more of it? You know, prayer is one of the most neglected activities in the church. Fact, not only Calvary Chapel, the church. Did you know that prayer meetings are the least attended event in the church? In our culture, Christians spend more time in gossip than they do in prayer. Somebody say amen. We spend more time on Facebook than we do in prayer. Somebody say amen. Prayer provides a spiritual power that you need for the upkeep of your soul and the upkeep of your church. Yes, you need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. Nehemiah spent four months waiting and praying. And I believe those four months were not only in preparation for Nehemiah, but those four months were seeking the Lord and in preparation for the king. Because God used those four months to prepare the king's heart. So when Nehemiah looks sad, the king's first reaction isn't kill him. His first reaction is, why are you sad? The king's heart had already been touched by God, even to the point where the king gives permission and provision for the work of God in Jerusalem. Listen, guys, we got to learn this. We got to learn to trust God. We got to know that God is working behind the scenes in every situation of our lives. God is in control. Can you say amen? amen? Nehemiah is sad at just the right time. Are you getting this? The king is thirsty at just the right time and he wants a drink. The king asked Nehemiah, why are you sad at just the right time? Nehemiah tells the king what's going on at just the right time. The king doesn't kill him because he's sad in his presence at just the right time. And the king asks, how can I help at just the right time? And God is always working behind the scenes at just the right time. 
And look at verse 5. Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king, are you looking at verse 5? If it pleases the king, allow me to go to Jerusalem and help them rebuild the walls. The queen is sitting there and the king said, how long will your trip be? And how long will you be gone? And when will you be back? Remember, he's a cupbearer and he was an important to the king. So if he's not there, the king has to call a temp agency and get a cupbearer. I'm just trying to make it applicable and relevant. So the king said, okay, you can go. Look at verse 7. Nehemiah said, uh, king, uh, I got one more thing. Uh, can you give me a passport? I need a letter for the regions beyond our borders. And uh, king, you know, another favor I was thinking. Uh, can I have an army with me to protect me? And, you know, one last thing. Uh, I need some supplies. In verse 8, I need a lot of timber and wood. I want to rebuild the city. So Nehemiah asked to be sent. He asked to be safe and he asked to be supplied. Sent, safe, and supplied. In verse 8, love this statement. The good hand of my God was upon me. Now in Ezra chapter 8, we don't really have time. I want to look at it, but just write this down. We don't really have time. Ezra chapter 8. And right about beginning in verse 21, Ezra gets his group together and they are ready to go back. He says, I'm not going to ask the king for anything because the good hand of my God, listen to me closely. Ezra says, I'm not going to ask the king for anything because the good hand of my God is upon me and we don't need to ask a human king. Ezra says, let's just pray. God will provide. God will supply because the hand of God is upon me. Here in our text, it's years later, and Nehemiah plans to go back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah asked the king for letters and supplies and soldiers. And the king gave him everything he asked for. Why? Because the good hand of God was upon him. Note the difference, saints. Look, Ezra says, don't ask, and God will provide. And Nehemiah says, I'll ask. And God will provide. Another interesting point, Ezra chapter 9, we don't have time to, but you just go look for yourself. You'll see this is right. Ezra chapter 9, Ezra is shocked because the people have begun to intermarry with heathen people. And by the way, just for the record, uh, intermarrying in the Bible uh, has nothing to do with skin color and has everything to do with ethnicity and the fact that they were heathens marrying into a pure bloodline of the Jewish people. It had nothing to do with the fact that black people, you know, some people will say, well, see, in the Bible, they condemn interracial marriages. No, it doesn't. God doesn't care if you're black or white or blue or purple or whatever color you might be. Whatever. You need Jesus. Somebody say amen. You need them. Your blood is red and your heart is black. Even if your skin is white. Fair. I'm happy I came back to Wednesday nights. But the problem was that people were intermarrying with the heathen people. Ezra hears about it. Listen, Ezra chapter 9, Ezra hears about it, and he lamented before God. And check this out. Ezra pulled his beard out. 
He was so angry with the people for intermarrying with heathen people. He just was so mad, and he just pulled his, he just grabbed his own beard. I'm like, what, is, what are you, crazy? I would honestly never do this. He just grabbed it. Like, oh, you people make me so Like a handful of hair. He's sitting there with hair. Wow. Read your Bibles. If you read your Bibles, you would know this stuff. It's already in there. Ezra chapter 10, the people saw Ezra plucking his beard out, and they cried, and they repented. Now, fast forward, Nehemiah chapter 13. Don't do it now. Write it down. Do it in your own time. Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah is in Jerusalem, and again, the people began to intermarry with other races of people, and Nehemiah, love me some Nehemiah. Nehemiah starts slapping the people. (laughs) Yes. That's my man. Nehemiah started slapping the people. He started cursing the people. Yes, he did. You need to read your Bible. He started slapping the people and cursing the people. And Nehemiah did not pull his own beard out. Nehemiah pulled their beard out. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Go, Miss Betty. Hallelujah. Yes. That's my kind of man. I'm not pulling my beard out. For what? Hurt myself because you married heathen people? That's not going to happen. What is going to happen is I'm going to slap you. And I'm going to grab your face. And then I'll turn that thing on you in a minute. Look what you made me do. I turn it around. Y'all don't know. I turn that thing around. He did, and listen, the same result. The people cried. <laughs> and the people repented. <laughs> but you want to note the different saints. Listen, Ezra says, Ezra says, I won't ask the king for anything because God's good hand is upon me. Nehemiah says, I'll ask the king because God's good hand is upon me. Ezra pulled out his own beard and the people repented. Nehemiah pulled out their beards, and the people repented. You say to me, okay, Rodney, what's your point? Um, nothing. It's just a great story. <laughs> I have no point. Actually, I do have a point. <laughs> Ezra. Ezra, here's the point. Ezra and Nehemiah are two totally different personalities, and yet God used them both. And that's my point that God uses different personalities to accomplish his perfect purpose. He uses different people in different ways. In verse 10, I'm coming in for a landing. Notice in verse 10, I want you to remember these two guys. When Sambalot, are you looking at verse 10? If you look at verse 10, say amen. Amen. When Sambalot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, I want you to remember these two names because you'll see them again. Sambalot the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite, these two guys represent, you taking notes, write this down. These two guys represent warfare and the enemy coming after God's people. And you know you got a lot of problems when you run across a guy who's a Hornite. Sounds too much like hornets to me. Hornets, don't like hornets. 
This guy's a hornite. You know you got problems. Notice in verse 10, why are they upset? They're upset and disturbed that Nehemiah had come to check on the welfare of God's people. Let me tell you something. Isn't this how Christianity works? And if you've been a Christian for more than a month, you know this. Christianity, this is how it goes. Whenever you decide that you're going to do something for God, the enemy will always raise his ugly head and try to distract you and hinder you. Uh, can I get an amen? amen? Isn't that true? I mean, you could say, you know what? I'm going to go to, I'm, I'm going to have a time of prayer. Are you listening? I'm going to have a time of prayer. Watch the phone jump off the hook. Everything will happen. Anything will happen. Or you say, you know what? I'm going to start coming to church on Wednesday night. All of a sudden, the boss says, hey, I need you to be here on Wednesday night. I mean, you know, Wednesday night, that's our big night. We're going to make it a big night. And uh, <laughs> so what? You work in a warehouse with just you, but whatever. We're going to make it a big night. And anything, I'm just saying anything, you have got to know this. When you make up your mind to do something spiritual and you make up your mind to do something godly, then Satan's going to try to get in there. He try to get in your head with thoughts that are just not of the Lord. You, got, you need to grab a hold of your thoughts. Some of y'all, your thoughts are, woo! <laughs> I really mean that. I really mean that. Some of you guys, your thoughts are like all over the place. And God is saying you need your mind renewed and take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Whatever happened to that? But Satan plant one little thing in your mind and you take it and run with it. Oh, man, that person looked at me funny. And, oh, man, they must have been talking about me. They don't like me and all that. Nobody don't care about you. I'm, I'm sorry. I, what I meant to say... I meant to say that we're more concerned with things of the Lord than you. Stop. Get a hold of your thoughts and start thinking like Christ and start believing the word of God and laying hold of the promises of God and, and, and becoming the people of God and grow up and let God work in you. And yes, you've got some depression and yes, you don't feel so great, but God is still working. No matter what, God is always working. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? I'm serious about the things of God, you guys. I'm communicating here God's word. This is God's word. We're here for the word. And if we're not here for the word, then why are we here? And listen, if we're not going to be here, trust me, Pastor Rodney will go home. I'm not kidding you. I'm here and I'm serious and I really, really feel that God wants us to take a step up. Let's step up. We're never going to become what God wants us to become. Peter, listen, if we don't, we're all we're going to be playing church for the rest of our lives. Playing church. I can't do that. I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. Sambalat and Tobiah, enemies of Israel. They will continue to be enemies. And the reason that they're enemies of Israel is because Nehemiah came to help God's people. And you got a problem with that? That's why their names are pointed out here. And specifically, Sambalat, or some people call it Sambalat. 
and, and Tobiah. These guys are, are enemies of Israel. Sambalat means strength. The archaeology has discovered that Sam, Sambalat was a, a governor of, uh, of Samaria. And Tobiah means the goodness of Jehovah. It means the goodness of Jehovah. And isn't it true in the Christian life, sometimes you feel like the strength and the goodness of the Lord are not working on your behalf. Nehemiah now begins to move forward in the work of the Lord. He meets opposition. These guys will be giving Nehemiah grief for for the rest of these chapters. And keep in mind that Nehemiah is being led by God and God's opening the door for him and God's good hand is on him and the king is writing letters and giving his decrees and 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 one this decree that 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 he, that he writes is one of the 12 major decrees written in the scriptures this is a major one and yet there's hostility and everything doesn't go smooth when everything doesn't go smooth remember that God is still working can i tell you something God is interested in the service, but he's also more interested in the servant. Did you get that? God is interested in the service, but he's more in your doing, in your ministry. God's interested in your ministry, in your service, but he's more interested in the servant, you. He's more interested in you. God's long range goal is to conform us to the image of his son. So God is working prophetically and God is working in Jerusalem and God is working in the life of Nehemiah as an individual. And yet there's still opposition. So these two characters, strength and the goodness of the Lord, enter our story. And now let the opposition begin. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.